Shades Mountain, I hope you guys are doing well today. My name is Ben Baber. Like they said, I'm the college minister here at Shades, and I am so grateful to be with you this morning and to open God's word with you this morning. Over the past month, we've been in a series called I Am. And what this series has been doing is looking at the seven I Am statements from the book of John. And what Pastor George has been doing is letting Jesus speak for himself about who he is. And that's exactly what we're gonna do this morning. But what has Jesus said about himself so far? The first I am statement is that he is the bread of life. The second thing is that he is the light of the world. And then last week we saw where Jesus calls himself the door. So again, we're excited to pick back up on the fourth I am statement. But before we do, let's find some common ground. Can we all acknowledge that most everyone in here has had a horrible boss? Any of you had a horrible boss, a bad boss? They're the absolute worst, aren't they? Bad bosses are the worst. Some of you are like, yeah, I had a bad boss and, and I was trying to forget him. And then I came in this morning, and you just reminded me, thank you. I'm sorry for that. But we've all had a horrible boss. We've all served under bad leadership. And if you're one of the few who's not been privileged with such a wonderful experience, I'm sure you know somebody who's at least had a bad boss. But what are some things that make a bad boss? What are some things that make a bad boss? Harvard Business Review gives these as some frequently cited grievances. That's for you HR folks out there. But they say this, bad bosses micromanage. They bully. They avoid conflict. They aren't decisive. They steal credit. They blame shift. They hoard information. They fail to listen. They set a poor example. They slack and they don't develop people. Hopefully I didn't just read that and you realize that you're the bad boss. It's okay if you are, we're glad you're here this morning. But truly, a bad boss is the absolute worst. No one likes serving under a bad boss. It is miserable to work for somebody who's not a good leader. In fact, there were 3,000 workers from an employment company who were surveyed and 82% of the workers said that they would consider quitting because of a bad manager. 82%, that is insane. And it just shows us that the saying is true. People don't quit their job, they quit their manager. John Maxwell says that everything rises and falls on leadership. Let me say that again. Everything rises and falls on leadership. But you don't have to look very far to see bad leadership. We see it on the news. We see it in the movies we watch, the books that we've read. It's unfortunate that it's too common that we see bad leadership. And this is not a new problem. If you're familiar with the Bible, then you would know that throughout all of the scriptures, there are tons of examples of bad leadership. We're gonna talk about a few of those examples today, but, but before we do, it's important for us to get some background information. If you're new to Bible study, toward the beginning of the Bible, God chooses a people for himself and he calls this people Israel, these chosen people. And what they were supposed to do was to be a light to the nations, an example to the nations of how good and gracious and merciful God was. But as you read throughout the Old Testament, you see that they're really bad at this. 
In fact, they really struggle with it. God does everything that he can do to set them up with everything they need to be this light to the nations. And they continue to walk in their own ways. They continue to live their lives the way that they wanted to. And they became a terrible representation of what God had intended for them. And yet, God continues to love them and care for them all throughout scripture. God would set up these clear guidelines for them and they would just choose to do the opposite. And we just see story after story after story of how God would rescue them and then they would do all right for a little bit, but they would just come back to the same nonsense. And one of the biggest issues that Israel had was bad leadership. They had plenty of leaders who could be described with the grievances that we talked about earlier. And let's just state the obvious here. This is not God's fault. Israel, the people of God, did not want to listen to God. Some of you parents in the room, you know this all too well. You set your, your children up for success. You do everything you can to set them up to succeed and they just may choose something different. Can I get an amen? That's what happened here. God said, I'll be your leader. And Israel said, no, we want a king. So God in his kindness gave them what they asked for and more often than not, it was not good for them. Another thing that we need to know from the Bible is that kings are often referred to as shepherds. David Pettis, an Old Testament scholar, gives us a list of vocabulary words from the Old Testament for leadership. And in that list, he adds the, the Hebrew word ra'ah. It means shepherd. And there's this theme throughout all of scripture that the leaders were to shepherd the people. And the people were the flock. That's what Pastor George pointed out to us last week if you were here. And so when God instituted a king for Israel, what he was doing is he was giving them a shepherd. But from the very beginning, we see that they had a lot of bad shepherds. So let's turn our attention now to some of these examples. The first king they had, King Saul. When he was a young man, he was pretty good. But then the power corrupted him. And year after year after year, he got more and more and more evil. He started worshiping gods that were not the true God. He started leading the people away from worshiping God. Saul was a bad shepherd. The kingdom of Israel, however, carried on. And although the shepherds, the kings that came after Saul, weren't necessarily as bad, they certainly weren't perfect. But then there comes a king named Rehoboam. And in Rehoboam's first week on the job, he loses half the kingdom. How'd you like to be that guy? Imagine being at work and, and everyone's standing around and they're kind of like, hey, that's the guy who lost half the company. Not very fun. Obviously, he was a bad shepherd. What he wanted to do is he wanted to make a name for himself. And so now we have this Northern king and we have this Southern kingdom. The kingdom of the north is called Israel, and the kingdom of the south is called Judah. Rehoboam became the king of Judah, the kingdom from the south. And Jeroboam, don't get those confused, became the king of the north, the king of Israel. 
So God's people had become divided because of some bad shepherds. But let's just look at the kingdom of the north and see how their shepherds fared. Again, Jeroboam was their first king and he didn't set a very good trajectory for them. Scripture tells us 19 times that he caused the people to sin. Jeroboam was a bad shepherd. And every king that follows him from his line on the kings of Israel did the same thing as he did. They were compared to him. They were greedy. They taxed the people. They filled their bellies and not that of their people because they were bad shepherds. So we have the kings of Israel. Now let's talk about the kings of Judah. Remember their first king, Rehoboam. He's the guy we just talked about. He's the guy who lost half the kingdom. Can you imagine a shepherd losing half of their sheep? Obviously, Rehoboam was a bad shepherd. And after him, there were some decent kings, but again, they weren't perfect. Finally, we come to a guy named Jehoram. Now remember, these are supposed to be the people who are shepherding the people of God. And in Jehoram's first act as king, he murders his six brothers because he's afraid they're gonna take his throne. That's pretty power hungry if you ask me. Maybe you've served under bad leadership. Maybe you've had a manager you didn't like, but did they kill people because they were afraid they may take their job? I doubt it. Jehoram was a bad shepherd. Let's skip down a little bit. Next guy we come to is a guy named Manasseh. If you thought Jehoram was bad, wait till you hear what Manasseh did. Manasseh, again, somebody who's supposed to be leading the people of God toward God, leads the people away from God and toward these other gods. And not only did he cause the people to worship other gods, he then sacrifices his children to these gods. Not like gave them away, but like killed them for the sake of these gods. Manasseh, was a bad shepherd. And here's the sad thing. We could keep going if we wanted to. Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, Zedekiah, they're all bad shepherds. And I know we just covered a lot of history, but it's one thing to tell you that the shepherds of Israel were bad. It's another thing to show you the breadth of their wickedness. Again, these men, they were supposed to be the ones who were leading the people of God toward the worship of God. And yet they were murderers. They were liars. They were greedy and they were just downright evil. And finally, God has enough. God has enough. And I wanna ask you to turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34. Because it's here that we see what God says to these wicked shepherds. Ezekiel 34, verse two, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed have not brought back, and the lost have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep 
were scattered. They wandered all over all the mountains and on every high hill, my sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Shades Mountain, God will not stand for his people to be abused. And whereas the, the people of Israel, God's people thought that they could shepherd themselves, they were bad shepherds. So God says this through the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel 34, seven. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I declare, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched out for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not become food for them. Shades Mountain, God is serious that bad shepherds have no business in leading his people. Bad shepherds have no business in leading the people of God. So here's what God responds with. God says in Ezekiel 34, 11, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. Verse 12, he says, I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them. Verse 13, I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. Verse 14, I will feed them. Verse 15, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. Verse 16, I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. God will shepherd his people. God will shepherd his people. John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. God's people had been waiting for a good shepherd. And Jesus is that shepherd. How do we know this? God says this in Ezekiel 34, 23, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. So will it be a servant from the line of David who will shepherd the people of God? Yes. But I thought you just said that God will shepherd his people. Yes. Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, will be the one shepherd for his people. The good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And that's where we pick up on our fourth I am statement today. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. If we take a step back for a moment, just to get some context for the book of John, John tells us his purpose statement for writing his gospel. He says in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, he writes this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. 
But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Throughout the whole Old Testament, from Genesis 3 on, the people of Israel are waiting for this person called the Messiah. What is the Messiah? What is a Messiah? Messiah is the promised deliverer. And whereas Israel thought that some of these kings from the Old Testament might be this promised deliverer, as you and I just saw, they weren't it. So God himself has to step in and fix what we as humans couldn't fix. Whereas humans could not lead God's people, Jesus, who is God in human form, was sent as a good shepherd who would lay down his life for the sheep. And this is very different than we see from the bad shepherds of Israel. Last week, Pastor George pointed out that Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. This week, we're, our text is in the same area, the same conversation as the one from last week. So Jesus is talking to the Pharisees this week. And, and you have to remember, these Pharisees are the religious leaders of the day. They're supposed to be shepherding God's people. Pastor George also told us that the Pharisees were experts in the law. They knew all the guidelines. They knew everything that God had called them to do. And because they knew the law, it's safe to say that they would have been very familiar with the shortcomings of the kings that we just talked about. It's also safe to say that they would have been very aware of the prophecies of this coming shepherd king. And Ezekiel's not the only one who talks about this. Jeremiah says it. Isaiah says it, Zechariah says it, and there's so many other people from the Old Testament who, who foretell of this coming shepherd king. And Jesus is talking to these guys who should have known this, and they would have known this. And he puts himself directly at the center of what all the Old Testament authors had been writing about in regard to the coming shepherd king. And yet, the Pharisees still missed it. The religious leaders of the day, the shepherds of the day missed it. So here's what Jesus says to them in John chapter 10, verse 12 and 13. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. These religious leaders are the hired hand. The Pharisees weren't leading people closer to God in his righteousness. They were leading people away from God and towards self-righteousness. That goes right along with what Pastor George was preaching on last week. Legalism can't save you. It is only through Jesus that we can have life. Craig Rochelle, a pastor in Oklahoma, has a wonderful leadership podcast. And in this podcast, he has an episode where he talks about going to a Subway, the sandwich shop, and he goes to this Subway and pretty quickly he can tell the guy working behind the counter is the owner. And how could he do this? He could just tell by the way that this guy was handling his order, the way that this guy was showing attention to him as a customer. He could tell that he was the owner. And so he gets to the end of the line and he asked the guy, he said, hey, are you the owner of the store? And the guy's like, yeah, how did you know? 
He's like, I could just tell by the way that you were working that it meant more to you. Think about that. The guy behind the counter didn't have a name tag on that said owner. There was no neon sign pointing to him that said, yeah, I own the store. But Groeschel could tell just by the way that he was working that he was more than simply a hired hand. And Jesus is saying the same thing to these Pharisees. There can be people performing the tasks of a shepherd. They can have the title of a shepherd, but they may not really have a shepherd's heart. A hired hand runs away when the wolf comes because the sheep aren't theirs. But a good shepherd will do whatever he must do to protect the sheep. Hired hands are only concerned about what's in it for them. The good shepherd is concerned about what's best for the flock. There is an enemy who wants to destroy us, church. There is an enemy who wants to destroy us. Sin and death are knocking at our door every single day, but the good shepherd will protect us even at a great cost. The difference between Jesus the good shepherd in the hired hand is that Jesus's people are his people and he will do whatever he must do to protect them, even if it costs him his life. So my question for you this morning, where are you placing your trust? In a hired hand or in a good shepherd? Jesus goes on to reiterate what he's just said a couple of verses ago. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. He doesn't make it complicated, does he? He doesn't make us guess here. It's pretty straightforward. Jesus is telling us that he is the good shepherd. A few weeks ago, Pastor George told us that God is not a God of confusion. He's not trying to confuse us and he's certainly not trying to do it here. He explicitly says that he is the one who was promised. I have conversations with people all the time and they're like, I don't know that that I know Jesus. I don't know if I know him personally. Jesus makes it clear. Jesus knows his people and his people know him. And so if someone isn't sure that they know Jesus, they need to ask themselves a question, am I actually a part of his people? And I don't wanna drive someone to doubt their faith. That's, that's the last thing that I wanna do. But scripture is clear that we can have the full assurance of our salvation if we have received what Jesus has done on the cross for us. So while I don't wanna cause any sort of panic, I do want people to know that they know who Jesus is. Being a good person doesn't get you into heaven. It's knowing Jesus. J.I. Packer takes this even further. He says that being in a relationship with God is not knowing a bunch of stuff about God. That's not not what knowing God is all about. It's actually knowing him. Packer goes on to say this though. What matters supremely therefore is not the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, the fact that he knows me. 
and I am graven on the palms of his hands. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me, and there is no moment when his eye is off me or his attention distracted from me, and no moment, therefore, when his care falters. This is good news for us this morning. But I don't say all that to say, wow, Jesus, good for you that you know us. I don't say it to say that. I say it to say, good for us that he knows us. And that should bring great Great comfort, not in us, but in him. The God of the universe wants to know us. That's amazing. The word know occurs four times in these two verses. The Greeks thought about obtaining knowledge through philosophical and theological contemplation. They thought if you just read about it and thought about it long enough, you could know it. The Hebrews, however viewed knowledge as something that you obtained by entering into a personal relationship with someone. Jesus is speaking to Jews here. And so when he says that he knows the father and the father knows him, it's not that they read stuff about each other. It's that they're in a personal relationship. And when Jesus says that he knows his sheep and that his sheep know him, It's not that the sheep just read a bunch of stuff about Jesus. It's that they know him. And this knowing and being known is not something that we can just pass by. It's not something we can just gloss over. It is only by the fact that we are known by Jesus and that we know him that we can have eternal life. God the Son and God the Father, they know each other perfectly. And when we see God the Son... We see God the Father. Paul tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And I need you to follow with me here for a second. When we see Jesus, we see God the Father. And Jesus makes the comparison in this verse that he knows his sheep and his people know him just as the Father knows him and he knows the Father. Why is this important for us to point out? Because when we receive what Jesus has done on the cross for us, when God the Father sees us, he sees Jesus. And if he saw anything other than Jesus, we would be wiped away. It is only through Jesus that we can be known by God the Father. Why? Because Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. And where we are blemished and with blame, Jesus is the spotless lamb with no blemish. Jesus dies in our place. And if you've ever wondered what's the gospel, Shades Mountain Baptist Church, this is the gospel. It is only through Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection that we can have eternal life. It's not through our church attendance. It's not through our good works. It's not by how much money we give. It's not by how good we appear on the outside. It is only in Christ alone, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep that we can have eternal life. Verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock 
and one shepherd. Who are these other sheep? They're the Gentiles. Remember how earlier we talked about God choosing a people for himself. They were called Israel. They were the Jews. And everybody outside of that people are called the Gentiles. The reason why this is important for many of us in here is I don't believe there are many ethnically Jewish people in here this morning. But this verse shows us that in Jesus, it doesn't matter. Because God is creating one multi-ethnic flock of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation who will worship him forever. The Pharisees thought it was their founding father, Abraham, and his blood running through their veins that saved them. Jesus says, it's my blood on the cross that will save you. It won't matter if Abraham is your father. It'll matter if Jesus is your shepherd. Don't miss that this morning. Verse 17, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. The father is pleased with the son because the son is obedient to give himself up as an atonement, as a payment for the sins of the world. But let's be careful as we read this though, because this doesn't mean that God the Father's love is contingent upon Jesus laying down his life, but that because of God the Father's love, God the Son, the good shepherd, willingly lays down his life. Bob Mounts says, God's love for the Son does not depend on what the Son does, but what the Son does is a result of the Father's love. It's the exact same thing we experience in our Christian walk. We don't read our Bible or pray or go to church so that Jesus will love us more. That's not why we do those things. We do those things because Jesus loves us. And that's an important reminder for us. We're not working for salvation, we're working from salvation. We always need to be reminded of that because it's so easy to think the opposite. Verse 18, Jesus says, no one takes it from me. He's talking about his life here. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. This is an important reminder for us that Jesus is in authority. There is nothing in this world that doesn't happen without God allowing it. God is in complete authority, but you may hear this and think, well, if God is in complete authority, then why does Jesus have to die? Maybe you've asked yourself that question. It brings up the age old question, why do bad things happen to good people? Gotquestions.org is a, a good resource and here's how they answer this question. One, bad things may happen to good people in this world, but this world is not the end. Two, Bad things may happen to good people, but God uses those bad things for an ultimate lasting good. Three, bad things may happen to good people, but those bad things equip believers for deeper ministry. Four, bad things may happen to good people, and the worst things happened to the best person. Bad things do happen to good people, but Jesus Christ, the best person, the perfect person, the sinless, spotless lamb was slain. But let's also be reminded that 
He didn't have his life helplessly taken from him. No, he was given authority by the father to lay his life down and to take it back up again. Does this mean that he didn't endure pain? No. In fact, it means that knowing all of the pain that would come with the greatest sacrifice, the death of the spotless lamb, he knew exactly what he was getting into and yet he willingly did it for us. Shades Mountain, Jesus is the good shepherd and he loves you. He loves you. And if you ask how much, it's this much. That he would hang on a cross for sins that he didn't commit. To pay a debt that he didn't owe. It was our debt that he paid. And that ought to bring us to our knees in worship this morning. As we close today talked about how everyone hates having a bad boss. They're the worst, right? We talked about the bad shepherds of Israel and how ultimately God would shepherd his people. And then Jesus tells us, I am the good shepherd. But Jesus is more than just a good leader. He's the God of the universe in human form who lays down his life for the sheep. The bad shepherds wanted power. They were greedy. They wanted to fill their bellies at the expense of the people. The good shepherd wants to give all good things to the flock at the expense of his own life. Bad shepherds say, what's in it for me? The good shepherd says, what can I give them? Shade's family, he gives us everything. He gives us everything. There's a book by a guy named Dane Ortland called Gentle and Lowly. And the subtitle of this book is The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. And after you've read the entire book on the heart of Christ, you come to the end and the author asks this question. He says, what now? What now? And many times we'll sit in a sermon and we'll hear a great sermon and we'll ask ourselves, what now? What must I go and do with this? And oftentimes the text dictates a wonderful application for your life. But this morning, I wanna quote Dane Ortland on his answer to the question, what now? He says, the main answer is nothing. To ask, now how do I apply this to my life would be a trivialization of the point of the study. He goes on to say this, if an Eskimo wins a vacation to a sunny place, he doesn't arrive in his hotel room, step out onto the balcony and wonder how to apply that to his life. He just enjoys it. He just basks. But he says there is one thing for us to do. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, come to me. Come to me. Ortland says that the Christian life boils down to two steps. One, go to Jesus. Step number two, see number one. It's a perfect description of the Christian life. And if this is the first time that you've heard any of this, I ask you this morning, place your faith in Jesus, the good shepherd. 
If this is the 400,000th time that you've heard this, remember this morning that your faith is in the good shepherd. We see how the bad shepherds will fail us, but we see how the good shepherd leads us. And if your faith is in the good shepherd, this is a picture of your life right here. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Here's the good news for us if Jesus is our shepherd. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Shades Mountain, the bad shepherds will fail you, but the good shepherd will never fail you. Jesus is the good shepherd and he has done everything for us this morning. Jesus has paid it all. Would you stand with me now as we worship him this morning?